It's time for the VolQuest Mailbag Podcast, answering your questions from the General's Quarters every week, right here on VolQuest. Good Thursday morning, everybody. Welcome to the VolQuest Mailbag Podcast. I'm Eric Kane with Matt Ray, Brent Hubs, and Rob Lewis. As always, big thanks and shout outs to Exterior Home Solutions for a free estimate. Give them a call today if you have the need at 865-524-5888 or visit them online at exteriorhomesolutions.com. Before we get started, got a whole lot of questions to get into. Want to remind you guys about that June promo we have going on right now over at VolQuest.com. 50% off your first year or $1 for three months. Really, really good deal for first-time users. 50% off your first year or $1 for three months. No better time to join the VolQuest family than right now. All right, let's get into some of these mailback questions. We got baseball, we got football, recruiting, basketball, a little bit of everything NIL-related. Uh, let's go to IM410EC. Has Boo Carter publicly or privately stated if he prefers offense over defense, and would the Vols give him a shot on offense to keep him from going to another school that is recruiting him to play offense, Matt? Yeah, I mean, he hasn't really came out and said anything publicly about that. I mean, the the fact of the matter is is that this has kind of always been the way that it was. Um, some schools have recruited him as a running back. Some schools have recruited him as a slot receiver. Some schools have recruited him as a nickel corner. And some schools have recruited him as a safety. Um, as we get here closer to crunch time, you know, the um, – the, the thing for Boo Carter is, you know, going to be making that final decision, obviously. I don't think it, it's going to weigh in that big. I think he's looking at a lot of different factors to try to make the right decision. Um, and, and I don't expect Tennessee to to come in and say, hey, you know, if you want to play slot receiver to come here, you can. I think Tennessee's recruited him the way they've recruited him throughout the process, and he's fully aware of that. We'll go next to Gator Killer. What are some of the likely outcomes for the Congress NIL debate this week? I don't know that there's any outcome in terms of specific outcome. I think, though, this is a, a positive step in the right direction because you're getting everybody in the room uh, to have a conversation and educating those decision makers who, quite frankly, haven't heard all sides of the conversation. Um I still think we're a million miles away, Rob, from any kind of federal legislation or being there. But I think that this is an important step, that it's not just what the NCAA is telling the legislative bodies or, or what athletic departments are telling legislative bodies, uh, their constituents locally. It's, it's you know, the, the, the collective side of things as well. And, and I think this is a, quite frankly, a conversation that should have happened a year ago. Uh, compared to, to where it is now. But because of where it's gotten to down the road, it is a much-needed conversation that I think is more of an educational thing than anything else right now, Rob. Yeah, I, I agree, Brent. I, I mean, I'm not studied intently, but it's, it's a subcommittee meeting. It's not like they're – you know, it's not like it's on the, the ground floor, the you know, House representatives. I mean, it's backroom panel meetings. I think they interviewed five or six people. To me, it's more of a – it's more of a headline grabber than, than anything substantial because I mean, it, you, you said, I, I think this is, is it your, did you coin the phrase? I, I know you didn't coin the phrase. You can't put the toothpaste back, back in the tube. But I mean, I think that was your original thought on this whole NIL thing two years ago. And, and, and I, I subscribe to that. I mean, maybe you get some guidelines or, or some parameters, but I just don't think Congress is going to jump into it. And again, this week is, it's a subcommittee. You know, you're talking to 10 or 12 members 
of Congress. It's not to me. It's it's not an earth shattering deal. I, to, it's it's kind of a cover your backside type thing. I think would probably you know elected people that want to go back home and tell you know college football fans in, in their state. You know, yeah, hey, this is this is what we heard about it. And to that extent, uh, a couple more questions here. But you know, with the, with the whole toothpaste out of the tube. Uh, is it possible for Congress decision to nullify existing NIL contracts? I mean, that's that's definitely no, correct? Well, I mean, yeah, if there I mean, was a federal law, but I mean, you're a million miles away. Again, this, yeah. this week is this week is a nothing. I mean, it's a subcommittee hearing. It's not it's not a big deal. Yeah, I mean, it's Matt. It's a subcommittee conversation. It's a starting point that should again should have started a long time ago. But but I mean, should have started before the law ever came into place. Yes. But the NCAA, the NCAA thought that Congress was going to take care of them. The Supreme Court was going to take care of it. They didn't have to worry about it. They didn't. Um, so, no, I mean, nobody's coming out of Washington, Mac, going, all right, tear up every deal that's out there. That, that's just I mean, that's lawsuits after lawsuits. So that, that that's just not even a remote possibility. Yeah, I mean, we're two years down the road now. And I mean, you have to wonder, I mean guys that are in college right now or receiving NIL deals, regardless of where these talks are now, like you said, subcommittee, and it just seems like it's far off. Um, I, I don't think anybody that's there right now, maybe some freshmen that hang around for, you know, a, a year or two longer than they're supposed to or whatever, they might be impacted by it. I just – I don't see it right now. All right, we'll move next to Hoover Vol. Kaner, what do you know about this new French Juco baseball commits Robin uh, Villanueva? Uh, yeah, from Weatherford Community College, Juco ranks. Tennessee's gotten a lot of players out of there the last couple of years, 63 games this past year. Um, he's a lefty. He pitched a little bit, also played first base, 28 home runs. I think he you know, had over 100 RBI, which is really good, 74 runs, and uh, looked good doing it. And a former hockey player as well. So you talk about an athlete uh, that is hoping to you know boost Tennessee up a little bit next year. Uh, that is what you're looking at getting in Robin Villanueva. And, of course, he committed to Tennessee earlier this week. Uh, let's go to Sean John 9 Most people believe Coach Rodney Garner is the best assistant coach we've had at Tennessee. I'm curious how he fits in with the rest of the staff. I say this because he is aggressive in his coaching and didn't come with Hypel from Florida. Brent, I feel like everybody loves him some Rodney Garner, right? Well, yeah, because it, because there's it's there's complete and utter transparency with Rodney Garner. I mean, what you see is what you get. There's no agendas. Rodney Garner's not looking to be a coordinator. He's not looking to jump around and, and you know, try to be the next this or, or try to be a head coach or any of those things. He wants to be a position coach. Um, I think he has a good relationship with Tim Banks. I think he has a good relationship with Brian Jean-Marie. I think that defensive side of the ball, even though none of them were a family before they came to Tennessee, I think they've got good chemistry together. I really do. I, I think they have gelled well together. I think their personalities fit uh, well together. And, um, you know, I think Rodney's a heck of a football coach. And because of that, I think everybody respects him. And, um, look, I mean, do they disagree on things? Sure they do. D does it get heated in a football game when the offense goes, you know, 40 seconds and punts it back to you? Yeah. I mean, they're, I mean that's part of coaching and part of it. So it's not all sing, you know, holding hands and singing kumbaya all the time. But I, I think the chemistry in this program is really good. I think the staff chemistry is good. I think that's why you've seen a bunch of guys stick around this program. And Tennessee's not had a, a ton of people run into the transfer portal uh, through two years of Josh Heupel and this staff being together. 
and Hubbard, don't you think that says something about just not just Rodney, but Willie also? Because I mean, those are two guys that what do they got sixty years combined, you know, coaching experience, and you know, Willie has been a D coordinator. I mean, it, I mean, those are guys, if they wanted to rock the boat, I mean, they they could rock the boat, and neither one of them are, are those type of individuals. No, and again, I mean, you know, I I think when you look at this this thing across, I mean, this is a big opportunity for Tim Banks. This is his first real opportunity to run a show. Uh, which he's doing. Um, and, and Brian Jean-Marie's not in a hurry to go jumping around somewhere. He's got kid in high school in Knoxville. And uh, I, I just, you know, sometimes you have some coaches, Matt, who are just on this quest for the next promotion. And, and I think because of where these guys are on the defensive side of the ball in particular, the, the experience that they have, they're comfortable in their own skin. They're obviously making good money. And, and so th- those guys aren't looking – it's not all about their personal brand and their personal resume. And, and as a result of that, I think there's good harmony there. And maybe, and maybe it's a little cliche, but um, I, I think they're all, you know, on the same mindset of they knew what, you know, the challenge was for them when they came to Tennessee, they knew it was going to be hard to, you know, have an effective defense you know, going along with this high tempo offense and, and the, you know, problems it can cause when you're on the field so much. And, I think now they're all at a point where they've, you know, recruited pretty well and they want to see a finished product. So I think there is some harmony there. They're all striving for that. They seem to gel well, like you said. And and I think they want to see where this thing can go on the defensive side of the football before, you know, there's a bunch of jumping around or anything like that 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 happens. Well, and remember this too about Willie Martinez and Rodney Garner. And and, and Rob, you were making this point, I think, a couple of weeks ago, maybe on a podcast. I mean, those guys chose to come back here. They had worked here before. They do exactly what Tennessee was, and and they enjoyed their time at Tennessee. and And they were both in different eras. I mean, Rodney Garner was here when Philip Fulmer was the head coach, and Tennessee was rolling big time. And Willie Martinez was here when Tennessee was trying to get back rolling. But both of them enjoyed being a part of the Tennessee family to the point that they both wanted to come back here. So it wasn't just about the next job as a platform to go somewhere else. It was a destination for them because they both had great respect for the program, great respect for the area and great love for the area. And that's why they wanted to come back and work here. All right, Matt, we'll go to you a little recruiting talk here. How does the offensive line board look right now? Uh, How does it shake out for June and July? Ronan O'Connell, Max Anderson, Marquise Easley, Satterfield, any of these guys close to a decision and uh, which ones are leaning towards Tennessee? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the ones you mentioned, um, Ronan, Marquez Easley, Satterwhite, they've all, you know, been recruited by Tennessee, you know, for a while. Uh, I think at one point Tennessee's been in a really good spot for each. I think Tennessee continues to be in a good spot for Ronan O'Connell, and he'll take an official visit here in a couple of weekends. Satterwhite, um, he was at Clemson. The Vols have gone back and forth there with some momentum with the Tigers. Um, but right now um, – you know, it looks like they're going to survive, you know, that official visit and have their chance later in the month, and he'll decide sometime in um, July most likely. Um, Max Anderson, Tennessee's been in a good position there. They've had him out here. He'll be back this weekend for his official visit and look to, you know, get some more questions answered. I don't know what Max's timeline's like. I think he could decide after these official visits. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens with him, you know, as the weekend plays out. Um, Marquez Easley, it, Glenn Ellerby has, you know, done a pretty good job there of recruiting Marquez Easley. He, he's a quiet kid. He's kind of, 
in the middle of nowhere where he is in the Midwest. Um, but you have to, um, you know, overcome some heavy hitters in that when he was at Georgia last weekend for an official visit. And, you know, the, the, the two-time defending national champion showed well. Um, he'll see Alabama and then he'll see Tennessee. And it feels like that's really where the decision is going to come down. Um, he moved his decision timeline up. We had handed about that in the war room. He didn't really want it out there at the time. Um, but he moved it up from October to July. Um, so these official visits are now so much more important for a guy like Marquez Easley. Um, and then another name that hasn't been mentioned a whole lot, was mentioned earlier in the spring, is Bennett Warren. Um, he is supposed to come in for an official visit later in the month. We'll see um, you know, what comes of that. Tennessee really wanted to get him out here in the spring. Glenn Ellerby was by there. Um to, to evaluate him again during the evaluation period, but he just didn't make it out to campus um, from Texas. So you, you get a shot at him with official visits, and I don't think he's a guy that's really rushing the decision process. Um, in talking to him, he's pretty meticulous. Academics are a big part. So um, he's a guy that you'll at least get to swing at. All right, Rob, we got some hoops talk, Upper East Tennessee Vols. What does Josiah Jordan-James mean to the basketball's chances in 23-24? And your favorite question, go ahead and predict that starting five. Uh, I mean, I, I think getting Josiah back is is big. I mean, I don't want to say, you know, I, I don't want to make too much of it, but in a sport where we increasingly see, I think every spring where, you know, experience matters, experience really matters in the backcourt, you know, Tennessee would, would Josiah – Santi and, and Zakai, when he's healthy, you know, you've got three, you know, guards who have played a ton of basketball. I mean, I, I'm going to wait for for uh, sports information all-star Tom Sokoviak to crush the numbers, but I, I, Tennessee's got to have one of the most experienced backcourts in, in the nation when you're talking about starts in, um, in Santiago and in, in Josiah and, and, and Zakai, who, you know, started the majority of the games this past year, but um, – Gives you incredible lineup flexibility again, and we've seen Rick Barnes get more and more comfortable, and you know fall more in love with with that small ball action with Josiah at the four. You know, you, you were hoping that that you could do that, you know, this year, but you still you know you still had to mix and match some pieces. Now 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 you know for sure that, that you can do that. I think it takes pressure off a lot of guys. You know, Jamai was was going to have to step up big time. Dalton Neck was was going to have to be absolutely what you. We're hoping he was going to be as a transfer. Now, you, you know, you get Josiah, again, take some pressure off guys. Um, they can ease in and gives Rick a, a ton of, of lineup flexibility. Once again, I just I – mean, I, some people have, you know, said, oh, I wish he would have moved on. I, I, I think that's silly. I mean, when you get a guy who, who's played a, as much big-time basketball back a, a, as him, I mean, I, I think that's, that's a plus. Uh, as far as starting lineup, I, I don't know. Without you know, talking about November, I, I don't assume Zakai will be there. Not seeing these guys are just getting to campus and practice together. I thought Freddie Dillon, Santiago, Josiah, Jonas Adu. What is that? Is that four and and, and Jamai Bayshack? No level. Uh, maybe, but not not in my not not here in, on on June six. He's not in my starting lineup. You could throw a percentage on that. What what would it be? That's that's I'm forty eight percent sure that that's going to be my starting lineup. Which, which reminds, speaking of percentages, do we do we have an update? Is AP made the turn? Yeah, do we have any word from Shinnecock? Nothing. Sh- Shinnecock is today. Um, he oh, was sleepy yeah, hollow. He, is he currently sleepy hollow? Garden City. 
Um, he he was uh, he was tired. He was tired when I talked to him last. It's it's a rough life, that's for sure. It is. I mean, it's exhausting. I'm sure. <laughs> Dude was telling me I was gone out of town too much. Good lord, I don't think so. Uh, let's go to hitter. Marion Fountains, of course, he he went ahead and committed to UC, USC. I think the South will still pursue this kid, or has that bridge burned? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you give up on Cameron Fountain because he committed to USC. Um, you know, I mentioned this. I mentioned this earlier in the week on the Generals' quarters. Um, I think some of the most surprised people um, that Cameron Fountain committed to USC was USC. Um, they felt like they put their best foot forward in, in talking to some folks. They thought they had a good visit. They still thought Tennessee was the team to overcome. Um, and, and that happens from time to time. You're, you're talking about a kid that hasn't taken a lot of visits outside of the southeast. Um, he's seen, you know, a, a small collection of schools. His first official visit, he gets to USC, and, you know, the red carpet's rolled out for him, and they, they show him and the family a good time. And he came back home and decided, you know, he didn't want to commit. But now – you know, the, the waiting game between June and, and December is is on for Cameron Fountain. He says he's not going to take any more visits, but I, I don't see it. I don't see it holding. I think he'll take some more visits, and I think Tennessee will you know, have another chance to, to swing there as this process goes on. Same with J.J. Harrell. Decommits from Tennessee earlier this week. His OV was later this month. Is he still going to take that? Tennessee's still going to pursue him. I don't expect J.J. Harrell to be here later in the month, and I don't expect Tennessee to pursue very hard there, um, you know, the rest of the way. We'll see. I mean, you, you still keep the line in the water, but I don't think the balls are going to push ultimately too hard for J.J. Harrell moving forward. All right, let's go to ATX Vol. Within the next five years, could you see the Southeastern Conference and possibly other conferences leaving the NCAA, Brent? Well, that talk's been out there for a decade, uh, but but I think the pressure's mounting. Um you know, we'll see. You got a new president with the NCAA. What where, what is his vision? I don't think any of us know exactly where it's at. Where does NIL take us? Um, what happens to some other conferences and, and that type of thing? Um, so, I, I mean, if, if the last five years have given us any indication of what's going on in college athletics, what we know is the next five years are, are unknown. And, and there's a lot of changes potentially coming in, in a lot of different directions. So, uh, I think it's, you know, too soon to say, uh, but, but I think, I think the leverage of the student athlete right now is, is never been stronger. And as a result of that, I think the leverage of conferences have, has never been stronger. If you're a stable conference. Now the Pac-12 doesn't have leverage. They, they don't have SEC leverage. The ACC doesn't have SEC leverage. You've got two true super conferences out there right now, Rob, in my opinion, in the big 10 and the SEC, that's where the big money's at. It's where the TV money's at right now. Those guys are swinging the biggest sticks, and their athletes in their leagues are, are helping swing that stick. Yeah, I think I, – I, I, when you said that, however, I started thinking, I, it, it's pretty fascinating. I, when do you think it started to shift that way towards the conferences having the power? Um, you know, is it just the, ad, you know, the television contracts? I mean, you, you think that was, was kind of the impetus – for it because this didn't feel like it used to be this way. I mean, SEC, Big Ten, Big Ten, always a big deal. But now it seems like, you know, they're the, the engines of change or, or the driving force behind things in college athletics more so than the, you know, quote-unquote overall governing body, the NCAA itself. Well, I, I think two things jump out to me. One, big picture standpoint, 
um, when when the NCAA lost control of, of the college football championship. Um, you know that that I means the college football playoffs not run by the NCAA. It's not like the NCAA basketball tournament where the NCAA is in charge. Uh, they're a spectator to the college football playoff system um, and, and how that goes about. So I think that changed dramatically because that brought the TV power into more play. For the, the two, for the two conferences specifically, uh, for me, it's it's the, the evolution of the SEC network and the Big Ten network and the fact, Matt, that they have all their sports on television. Um, there's, there's additional revenue there because of that. They get their games on TV. Um, and, and what it did, what it did is it's created depth in that conference that while, yeah, it's, it's, it's Georgia and it's, it's Alabama supposedly as the two top dogs, there's depth underneath it with, with the production value and everything that this conference brings to the table that you just don't have in the ACC. Um, you know, the S the ACC network is what, seven, eight years behind the SEC network. And, and look, when the Big Ten Network first came out, I didn't, I wasn't sure about it because it wasn't atti- wasn't attached to ESPN. But I'm telling you, you go you go anywhere up north, the Big Ten Network's a big deal. It's a profitable big deal that's that's given more power to that conference, much the same way the TV package for the SEC has given uh, has separated that con- this conference from from other conferences around the country. So I think those are a couple of the two biggest things. All right, we got a couple more questions to get into. More about the Tennessee and the Super Regional matchup, Tennessee recruiting, all that good stuff. But first, let's get a let's get a word from our proud sponsors over at Exterior Home Solutions. Your roof—it's the most important protection against nature for your home or your business. That's why I trust the experts at Exterior Home Solutions. All right, we will continue on. And again, a big thanks to Exterior Home Solutions. June promo, 50% off uh, your first uh, six months or $1 for your first year. 50% off your first year or $1 for three months. That is the June promo happening right now at VolQuest.com. Uh, Minnesota Vol, knowing that Coach Tony Vitello, Danny White, obviously wanted to host a Super Regional. and presuming Greg Sankey would have preferred Tennessee hope hosting a Super Regional. What types of conversations and meetings are AD Danny White and Sankey having well with the powers to be to try and make sure that this doesn't happen again in the future? Look, bottom line, and Brent, please jump in here when I'm done. Bottom line, both teams are deserving of this, okay? They were playoff teams. They both put in a bid with the opportunity to host a regional or a super regional if it got to that point. Both venues did it last year. Both venues are accommodating. Both programs had good and successful seasons. Both were deserving. Um, but this decision wasn't based on playing resume because if it was, it'd be Tennessee hands down RPI, shrink the schedule. Just look at what Southern Miss has done against SEC schools this year. And I'm not saying that's, I'm not saying that they're going to lose this weekend. I'm just saying if it's based on playing resume, that's not what the decision was. Bottom line, it came down to who, you know, that that's what happened. Came down to who, you know, and Brent, I'm not sure how much thought actually went into this. And if it was more of a foregone conclusion, if this scenario arises, this is what we're going to do. Um, Tennessee's going to hit the road, go to Southern Miss. It's going to be a great environment. And uh, we'll see if Tennessee can win on the road just like it did against the Clemson Regional. Both venues are deserving. I just don't think that there was much of a conversation had there. Well, and and here's and this is where the NCAA gets themselves in routine trouble. Um, okay, th- this is where people – this is why there's the previous question uh, that we had in, in this podcast about when are the two going to – when's the conference going to break away from the NCAA? Because it's the NCAA's lack of transparency, Rob. And it's their lack of transparency in so much of what they do. 
Okay. And, and it's not just in this, in this process, but it's the committee's going to meet on the, the second Tuesday of every month that ends in Y that has 31 days on it, you know, to determine somebody's eligibility. It's this guy gets eligible. This guy's not eligible. Their resume for being for their, their appeal for being eligible appears to be the exact, you know, very, very comparable to each other. Why was there a difference? We don't know. Okay. That, that's the problem that the NCAA gets in, into here. This committee has had a bad two weeks. I said it on, on the message board. And I truly believe this. There's no way. And, and I'm not knocking Kentucky. So Kentucky fans get out of my DMS. I'm not saying anything bad against you as a school. But there's no way, based on the criteria for hosting a regional, Kentucky should have hosted a regional. Yep. If you can't provide hotel rooms, you can't come back and say, we're going to give you a dorm, and that's going to suffice. Because here's what you've opened up. Next year, when somebody in another league says something and says, presents their bid, you can't come back and say, well, you don't have enough hotel accommodations. Well, you've already shown that that's not important, right? Here's the bottom line. Anytime you bring a human element into this decision-making process, which is what you do with this committee, you don't know. You don't know what the answer is. Is is Am I saying Southern Miss got this bid to host a Super Regional because one of the committee members' sons plays on the Southern Miss baseball team? No, but that's a hell of a not that's that's a hell of a bad looking optic, right? Yep. But that's that's just the bottom line. It's a, it's a bad looking optic. You should seed that tournament. Okay, you should that there should be a second tier, just like in the NCAA tournament. Who's the number one two seed? Who's the number one three? You know, number two two seed. And if you get into a situation where the top seed gets knocked out, and you're going through this, let, let's get out of who offered more money and this, and let's give it if the venue is is a legit venue, which most of them are in college baseball. Okay, let, let's just give it to the highest two seed. Right, see them. That's what you need to do, and take out the human element so you don't have these optics that you have right now because it's a bad look. And I'll say this: I, I mentioned the war room a couple of weeks ago, and and on the board a little bit, you know, as Tennessee heading into regional play, you know, Tennessee being one of the higher, you know, ranked two seeds or whatever. I mean, there's no official ranking of two seeds. This isn't this isn't the March Madness tournament. This isn't basketball, but there is a pegging order, 100. percent It's not public. But there 100% is a pecking order of two seats. And, uh, you know, another contributing factor to this, Southern Miss was likely higher than Tennessee on that quote-unquote pecking order because the Southeastern Conference already had a ton of host sites for regionals. And Tennessee was further down a little bit. It was in conversation, but, it, you know, when it lost A&M, it was not going to be a thing anymore. But it was further down that list because the NCAA didn't want to grant another host site to an SEC team. So, again, there's just a lot to this, and... You know, I, I think that with everything the NCAA is, you overcomplicate things. Oh, yeah, Tennessee beat the higher overall seed in Clemson. So, you know, that could be another, you know, feather in the cap to why Tennessee should host a Super Regional. It just is what it is. I'm going to get in the car and drive seven and a half hours and sit through <laughs> rain and 95-degree heat I for just, three days. And... I, I just, I mean, it, it's your specialty, EC. But I, <laughs> I just I, I, th I just think it's absurd that, that – the teams aren't seated after after the, the one seeds, like Brent was saying. I just no. that that is so Mickey Mouse that and, and again it goes back to what Brent was saying, the lack of transparency with that organization for you know, going back to the to the dawn of time has always just been a a, a just a horrible aspect of the NCAA in my opinion. Well and here's the other thing that needs to happen too. C college baseball's on the on the on the on a step 
getting re- on the potential to take another step. That's not, I didn't say that very well, but, but college football, college baseball is growing. Okay. We're, we're paying coaches lots of money, right? You're building, you're building high end facilities. Now it is a sport that's really growing in nature. Okay. So, so to, to get, to yield its credibility even further, Matt, you got to get out of some of these Mickey mouse backdoor, what happened there. The other thing that needs to happen too is, there need to be more regional games on television. Listen, Chris Budden and, and and Chris Burke and those guys, they did a great job with squeeze play over the weekend. It was fantastic. Okay. But, but, but this, for the money that's being spent in college baseball, college baseball needs to have, to have meetings and work to get better publicity and better um, expansion of eyeballs on them than what they have right now. This is not a good look for college baseball because you don't know how anything it, it it makes it look small, still small time, and that's not where college baseball's at. Get more regional games on TV, okay? You're you're, you're a better product to watch than Axe throwing her pickleball, okay? Get more games on TV and be more transparent and 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 grow the sport, grow the grow the fiber of the sport to continue with the product that's being produced out there. In my I mean, the TWSAA does a better job with their postseason than than NCAA. When you, when you, I mean, can you imagine, you know, not knowing who, where you're going to play next week uh, ahead of time? I just, I mean, we've talked about it a lot, but the fact that after the one seeds, it's just a jumble is a, I, I just can't, I still just, can't get my head around it. Just seed it. I mean, it's as simple as that. Just seed it. I mean, you, you do it in the NCAA tournament, you know, and obviously that plays out, you know, differently, but just seed it. Rob, uh, last thing on this, and we got to move on. But Rob, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, though. There is a Q and A after Selection Sunday, right? I mean, there's a Q and A. There's an interview top setting to somewhat say, "All right, committee, why did you go this way? What merit did you value oh, they, in this?" They, I mean, they make the rounds. I mean, yeah. they, you know, they, you know, they don't get grilled. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they're not hooked up to a lie detector machine, but I mean, they go <laughs> on and and you know tell ESPN or, or Jim Nance or whoever you know what what they were thinking or you know what went into this this thought and so. And, there's not one of those for baseball, obviously. And again, could you imagine something like this happen? Sweet 16 for, for March Madness. And that's what's happening right now for Tennessee baseball. So again, it's not, it's not the end of the world. You're going to go on the, you're, you're still alive. You're going to go on the road. You're going to play. And, and you know, Vitello well, and, and the gang is going to be ready to roll. But well, it's just, me, uh, me, it's frustrating how it, how it happened. Yeah. And let me say this. This is not, whoa, Tennessee got. I mean, and we're having this conversation because it affects the program we cover on a daily basis. I'm talking big picture. Sure. You know, I, I'm talking. I'm I'm talking this for the entire sport, not not just oh Tennessee. Woe is Tennessee. I, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying in general. Okay, just the the whole the whole narrative of the sport that there's some things they they need to do to help it further take the next step that has nothing to do with the ball being hit or a pitch being made or, uh, you know, uh, getting a ground ball out. It has nothing to do with what happens between the white lines. It's some, it's some administrative stuff that they need to clean up, be more transparent about for the entire sport. I think it's important for them moving forward. Let's go to Nashville 615. The knock on Josh Hoppe when he got hired was that he – uh, you know, could he recruit at the top level in the SEC? Has he proven that he can do that, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I think Tennessee's done a really good job given the circumstances that they faced coming in, the the unknowns that they had to 
battle during the first, you know, the 2022 class. Um, you know, you had had to sit down with kids and, you know, have transparent meetings. Um, you know, we've been talking about the NCAA not being transparent. Well, during that time and in, in June of that class, you know, Tennessee sat down, had transparent meetings and tried to, you know, show folks where things were, what they knew and, and where they thought things would go and how they had handled different types of things. And, you know, that, that's still hard to overcome in your initial class because you, the way the recruiting calendar has shifted, you know, June is pretty much the new December or January, if you will. And you hadn't put a product on the field yet. You're selling a vision and it's tough when you have that lingering over your head. Uh, you know, and then, you know, you go you know, flip the script of 2023 and look at some of the guys they were able to land and some of the schools they were able to beat out for them and the battles they were able to get in after one one year of product on the field. And then I think, you know, you look here at where they're at now, um, you're going to get more of an answer on that in, in the coming months. But I think to this point, getting everything that was out there and what they had to overcome, I think Josh Heupel has shown that, that they his program can recruit on that level. Now, you're, you're in some big boy battles going into, you know, the coming weeks here in June. You've got some big time, big name prospects on campus. And, and AP has said it and I've said it. You, you're not going to win them all. It's not going to happen. Uh, you know, look at Georgia with Sammy Brown. Now, the, even the two-time defending national champions aren't winning. Like, you've got to win some. You've got to win your fair share. Um, and, and, and until you see where these things shake out, I don't think there's any cause for panic just yet. And in the world of recruiting, you gotta you got to prove yourself every day. I mean, every day. That, that question – you can ask that question two years from now because it changes and, and you have to prove yourself each and every year in, in recruiting. And I'm not saying Josh Heupel hadn't, but I'm just saying you got to, you know, you're, it, it's, it's ever evolving. You got to prove yourself every year in recruiting. That's just the way it is. All right, let's jump back in and do a couple more baseball ones. This one's from Zeusify with the Vols not playing at home for the Super Regionals Does that allow construction to start earlier. Brent construction's not scheduled to begin over there at Lindsay Nelson Stadium to do anything heavy until – Know, late August. I mean, it's going to be a little bit. They got some things going on in the summer before they start doing some things, correct? Yeah, I mean, you. I mean, th there's some there's some planning. They've hired an architect. You know, they're they're finishing up some redesign and and making sure some things are clear there. There's still some more. I, I think some red tape that you've got to step through. You know, from a governmental standpoint, and and obviously they've got some cash in hand to spend from donations that have been given. So you're going to see things happening, but. Um, they, they didn't, they didn't roll in backhoes and bulldozers on, uh, at, at 10 30 Monday when, when the news came out, Tennessee was heading to Hattiesburg, Mississippi. So you, you'll see some stuff work, but it's going to be, it's going to be late summer, fall before they start really diving into anything. Hey, Hubbard, Hubbard, does anything paint a picture for how much things have changed for that baseball program than when you're talking about construction? And if this had been 20 years ago, you know, good and well, coach Fulmer would have had construction in August delayed until they got through two a days. Oh, absolutely. So they can practice on the field. You'd be like, oh, no. You're <laughs> absolutely. Not September 1 would be the earliest you would do anything because I've got to have that practice field. Uh, of course, that, in fairness to Coach Fulmer at the time, he had about 70 yards of practice field to work with. Now they've got, you know, three or four practice fields up there. But, yeah, I mean, that, that walk to – he still called it Lower Hudson, even though it was Lindsey Nelson Stadium. Yep. It was exactly. Lower Hudson down there Lower that they Hudson. practiced on. Uh, nothing like standing on the warning track in a – Hundred degree afternoon of two a days watching Tennessee go through some nine on eight and fist fights and everything else taking place. But yeah, 
you're, you're exactly right, Rob. It's a little different th- than it used to be. Here, here's the other thing, too. I mean, with the fast track of these dorms, um, and particularly that dorm over there at, at you know, behind the, the right field line there at Todd Helton, you know, that changes a little bit of your right field construction because now you're going to be able to tie that in faster than you thought because those those dorms are going to get expedited since they're going to be managed and, and handled by a construction firm and that's not all going to have to go through the state for bonding and all those types of things so you're going to see those dorms get built quickly i think i think the online date for them is in 26 um which is pretty fast to build three dorms on campus but that changes a little bit of kind of how you phase that renovation to Lindsey Nelson Stadium when you're tying that right field line into that that new facility that's going to be built behind it. Sam Smith, twenty two thirty three. Uh, we already talked about Southern Miss uh, getting the the draw over Tennessee. So if you had a chance, this is a really good question. If you had a chance to end it in Game Two this weekend, do you go all out and make Drew Beam available out of the bullpen, or save him for Game Three no matter what? Um, so this is just my opinion. I'm certainly not Frank Anderson or Tony Botello. I mean, you always need to be prepared, just like in regional play. They were prepared with A.J. Russell to go on Monday. A.J. Russell threw on Saturday or on Sunday because he needed an inning. I mean, what a luxury to have, right? You always need to be prepared for that game three for sure, and that would likely be Drew Beam, of course. But depending on how game one and game two go, I mean, if you have used up your arms, uh, you know, with, with all the other, you know, elite bullpen arms you have, and you have an opportunity in game two, to go out there and get six outs and close this thing out, then, you know, yeah, I would think about it for sure. But I just, you know, knock on wood here. I just, I don't, Tennessee is so deep in the bullpen. And it was a perfect example last weekend where you play 14 innings. And I mean, that, that was an elite performance. I get it. You play 14 innings, you use three pitchers. Tennessee might not be in a situation to where they would need to go to Drew Beam to close out game two, if that makes sense. So. Right. Just just depends on how it goes, Brent. You got to be prepared for game three, but uh, if you have a chance to win it in game two, you go win it. I'll tell you what, if, if you're sitting there and, and you're in the sixth inning in game two and you've already used Lindsey, Burns, Dolander, Halverson, you probably didn't win game one. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, you probably did. You probably, you're probably not in a situation to close it out if you've had to blow through your entire starting rotation in, say, 14 innings of baseball. So, uh, my answer to that question would be: I don't think that's a realistic scenario, um, based on on where they would be at that point in time, unless somebody comes up sick. You know, now if you're sitting here and somebody, you know, gets some Michael Jordan food poisoning in the hotel in, in Hattiesburg, and you got to pull somebody out of the starting rotation, but but if you've got all your arms available, I, I don't I don't see a scenario where Drew Beam is pitching in Game Two, it, it, with, with Tennessee in a situation to close it out, is what I'm saying. Yeah. All right, we'll do a couple more here. Let's go to Craig Waddle. Um, how will the SEC decide which two teams play in Atlanta for the SEC championship if there are three teams undefeated in the conference 2024? Uh, Rob, win percentage, and then from there, I believe it would go head to head. Is that correct? And then there'd be another tiebreaker if they needed it. If it's, I mean, if, if head to head doesn't work, I would imagine, I mean, it would be like it is in the other sports. You'd go to common opponents. Yeah. And, you know, it, if that doesn't do it, then you, you know, start at the standings, and you know what's your rec- what's your record against the the fourteen, fifteen. I mean, they, they will. I, I I doubt that we'll have a, a three team tie of undefeated, but that that's how it would work. All right, we will end here with Athrun. He's got a couple of questions. We've already talked about a few of them. Uh, Matt, who else should Tennessee worry about on visits 
before they OV here. Of course, you know, looking at some of these guys who, you know, committed elsewhere like like Fountain this week. You worry about them all. I mean, that's just the reality of it. You worry about them all. Um, you know, these schools are getting them on campus to try to make their pitch and, you know, try to shut things down. I mean, realistically, that's what June has became. I mean, that, that's where you're at and that that's where, you know, it's going to continue to go. So you worry about them all until you get them here. Tennessee likes to have the final visit because most folks are going to go through the process and then go back home and, and you know, dive into what they saw during the month of June. So Tennessee likes to get those final visits um, from guys. That's, that's someone that they preferred since Josh Heupel has been here. Um, but you, you worry about them all till you can get them on campus and see where they're at. I mean, again, I, I just, nobody expected Cameron Fountain to go to USC and commit this weekend. Um, and, and that's just, you know, an easy example to point to, but, but it happens. I, I wouldn't have thought Sammy Brown would have gone to Clemson and, and committed, but it is what it is. It happened. So you, you just need to get them to campus and, and make your pitch. And, and to this point, Tennessee's only hosted one official visitor, um, you know, in the cycle, uh, Sammy Brown, and they'll, they'll get their chance with Max Anderson this weekend. And then June 16th and June 23rd, those weekends are huge um, for Tennessee. All I'm saying is I was in Clemson, South Carolina last Saturday and killing time before Tennessee played me and Dustin modded a circle, the stadium about 17 times trying to find a way to get in. And they had official visitors there going into the stadium. They were all hugging and swaying and singing a song or something. It, it, it looked kind of strange from my vantage point, but hey, I guess it, I is, guess it works. Is is that the second Dustin Minot name drop like in, in a month on the VolQuest podcast? Who had the first one? There, 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 there was a, I, I, it was prompted by your unfamiliarity with the media guide. Yeah, that's exactly ago. right. It, oh. it, it, it had me discussing Dustin Minot's work on Bud Ford's foundation of his house. Um, well, that's too much publicity for him. We don't need to bring it up again then. <laughs> All right, last one. Uh, just some simple thoughts on Super Regional ahead of Saturday. Uh, yeah, we'll continue to break that down as the week goes on. But I spent about an hour last night kind of digging down deep into the stats, uh, just kind of getting a basis. Simply put, if you want the, the cliff notes of Southern Miss real quick, good ball club, first year in the Sun Belt. They won the conference tournament. Um, they were the two seed or the three seed in the conference tournament, but they won the tournament. Uh, Tanner Hall is an absolute stud. He's a Golden Spikes Award semifinalist, right-handed pitcher, Threw 123 pitches on Friday in the regional play. Came back and started Monday. Gave him three innings. Um, he's an absolute stud. Dustin Dicker Dickerson, shortstop. He is a um, he was the Auburn regional MVP. He had like five home runs in his career. He had six home runs in regional play last weekend. So he's um, hot to say the least. And you know they got some guys that can can swing it a little bit. They're they're a pretty good uh, good pitching club. Their number two is uh, Billy Oldman. Um, he was a part of a Division Three or Division Two national championship team last year. Uh, he's got a pretty decent record, but um, anyway, you want to spin it again. This is a team that can hit good enough, but they can they they can pitch pretty well as well. So um, you know Tennessee on paper, I think, is better. Tennessee's played tougher competition, and uh, we'll see what happens. So they're going to go into a hostile environment this weekend. There's no doubt about it. But we'll have more in the preview, and of course, more in the porch uh, later this week. That will do it for this edition of the VolQuest podcast. Can't thank Exterior Home Solutions enough for making this coverage possible. If you have a need uh, of anything for your home, summer season is here, storms, winds, 
uh, you know, roofing, decking, siding, whatever the case may be, Exterior Home Solutions can help you out. Give them a call for a free estimate at 865-524-5888. See them online at exteriorhomesolutions.com. And uh, one more time, remember, guys, June promo. If you're listening, you're not a member with us at VolQuest, right now is the time to join 50% off your first year or just $1 for three months. 50% for the first year, $1 for three months. You can join us over at VolQuest.com right now. For Matt Ray, Brett Hobbs, Rob Lewis, Austin Price somewhere on a golf course in America, I am Eric Kane. Appreciate you guys sending in all your questions, and enjoy the rest of your Thursday, everybody. You've been listening to the VolQuest Mailbag Podcast every week right here on VolQuest.